Well, hey there, Thrive Church. So glad to have you with us today. Hey, we're going to keep going with our series, Made to Thrive. Uh, we've been in this series for a few weeks now, and we've got today and next Sunday will be the last messages in this series. I want you to turn in your Bibles to today to John chapter 15. In fact, we'll be in John 15 both this week and then next week as well. And so find that place in your Bibles. The verses will also be available on the screen and in the notes section in the online church platform. Uh, but but I'd love for you to just camp out in this, this passage of Scripture, not just today, but I want to really encourage you uh, throughout this week and over the next couple of weeks, weeks. Would you take time to really uh, meditate on John 15? In fact, John 14, John 15, uh, and John 16 as well. There's some thoughts in here that are really central and really wrap up this idea of what it means to thrive in Christ. And it's worth us taking some time to press into these and, and lean into these a little more. Uh, throughout this series, I've used a few different metaphors. We, we kicked off the series last month by talking about color and sound uh, in, in movies. If you remember back to the, the first message in this series, I talked about how uh, early movies were just black and white and there was no sound. There was no speaking uh, that was, was happening in those movies. And you know later on, they would you know, maybe introduce the, the, the piano. Someone would be playing the piano or they'd, you'd see the people's lips moving and then there'd be a screen that popped up and and uh, you know that the words would fill up on the screen, and you'd have to read the words, and then they'd cut back. And it's at some point they start introducing uh, both color and sound into the movie experience, and it really changed the whole uh, movie experience. It, it made it more immersive. It made it more, of course, more real because that's how we encounter the world. We encounter the world in color, and we encounter the world with sound. And so. Uh, when movies were made that way, it just made that that whole experience to be way more immersive and and added a depth to it. I I, I spent one Sunday we talked about uh, color blindness and how uh, you know for so many people, myself included, deal with uh, certain degrees of color blindness, not being able to see certain colors uh, in the spectrum, and there's certain color blindness that's more common than others. But I shared about how. They developed these glasses, these sunglasses that people can now wear that they can put on and and see colors that they would not able to see, be able to see otherwise. And how in those moments I shared a video about how people, uh, how, how emotional they got in seeing color for the first time. And so, uh, you know, and, and just being able to, being open to their eyes being opened and being awakened to this new reality, this new way of seeing and perceiving the world. And uh, one of the other metaphors I, I used was this, was the, the picture of trees and plants that are uh, planted by or grow next to a stream or a river. And I had an opportunity uh, even to, to preach that message right there in a creek bed, surrounded by all that greenery and the, the blackberries that were growing. And that picture, that vibrant picture of plants receiving the nourishment that they need by, by growing in a place that's abundance, that has an abundance of water in the soil so that they can get what they need to be fruitful and to grow. And in each of these analogies, in each of these pictures, and I've even used others, but we'll, we'll stop with those right there, is, is that there's a vibrancy and there's a fruitfulness and there's a depth and a richness that comes 
uh, as we look at each of those different scenarios, each one of those different pictures, there's a there's something about a vitality that would come about in a person's life. And as we talk about thriving in Christ, that's really at the heart of what our conversation is, about what God is looking for in our lives, is that there would be a depth and a richness and a vitality and a fruitfulness in our lives that is the result of us thriving, and that, that really comes about because of the fullness of Christ in our lives. And so I want to look at John chapter 10, 10, as we get get started again this morning, reminding us of uh, God's heart for us, Jesus's heart for us when it comes to this subject of thriving. And this is what it says in John 10, 10. These are the words of Jesus, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is his only purpose. I've shared this, this message, rather this, this verse, many, many times here at Thrive Church. It is the verse that our church is really centered on that is really established on is this passage out of John 10, 10. So you've heard this before, but, but it's worth stating again, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And we can look around uh, the world, we can look around our nation, we can look in our own lives, and I think we could all recognize the places where the enemy's goal is to steal and kill and destroy. And sometimes in, very, in a very literal way, that this isn't just figurative and out there, that, that Satan's goal is to destroy our lives, to wreck our lives, and to even rob a very breath from us, to, to, to rob us of the very life that we have. But then this is what Jesus says. This is what Satan does to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says this, I have come that you may have life. Jesus has come that you may have life and not just have life, but to have it to the full, not just to survive, not just to get by, not just to barely make it, but to thrive. This is God's desire and his intent for your life. See, but all of this is really predicated on this, is that we would live Christ-centered lives. And I talked about that uh, in the first message, that being Christ-centered, that thriving in Christ is, is really knowing that you are loved knowing that you are known, that God knows who you are, that you are accepted, that you are forgiving, and then embracing and receiving and living in your new identity in Christ. That this is at the heart, it's at the very center of what it means to thrive. And it's those last two words that I just shared that I want to focus on for these next couple of weeks. Those two words, in Christ. In Christ. This is how I want to end this series. I want to focus on what it means to be in Christ. And with that, I'd like to turn to John 15. John chapter 15. We're going to read today verses 5, uh, uh, rather verses 1 through 9. And I'd love for you, again, to go and, and, and read the rest uh, of this passage and, and read the, the chapters that precede it and come after it because we'll be talking about those some more a little bit today and then, and then next Sunday as well. But starting in verse 1 of John chapter 15, it says this, I am the, the true vine, Jesus again speaking here, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch uh, in me that bears no fruit. 
while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I also remain as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'd like to take our time together this morning and really walk through and unpack and examine these verses a little more closely. But before I do that, I want to give us a little context. What, why is Jesus saying these words? Who is he saying them to? And, and what was happening around when, when he shared these words? So, so these are the words that Jesus speaks as some of his last thoughts that he shares with his disciples before he's arrested and taken to the cross to be crucified. It's his final thought, thoughts, really, before he dies. And I don't know about you, but if, if I had an opportunity, if I knew I was going to die, and I had an opportunity to speak to the people that are closest to me, I would pick those words very carefully. The things that I would say would not just be lighthearted and flippant. They would be deep. They would be carefully selected to convey and express what was going on in my heart. They would be the words that I would, would want people to remember, that I would want them to, to, to hang on to, to, to things that would be of great importance. Those are the things that I would speak, and it's no different to Jesus in this circumstance. He, he is ready to go to the cross. He knows that the cross is before him that the cross is imminent, it's about to happen. And in this moment, he's sharing these intimate moments with his disciples. And so here he is, it's Jesus in the moments before he's arrested, speaking to the people, speaking to this gathering of men who have been his friends, they have been his partners in ministry, they have walked together, they have prayed together, they have laughed together, they've eaten together, they've done ministry together, and they've spent three years as a part, an intimate part of each other's lives. And now Jesus here is sharing these final thoughts with them. So I hope you you capture in this that there is a, a weight, there's a sense of weightiness and gravity, and we understand that all scripture is important, that all scripture is is critical for our lives. But, but in this context, in this particular passage, there's something so, we have a window into this moment in time where Jesus is with his disciples sharing his, the, the deepest part of his heart with them. And so we have the opportunity to look into that, to examine these a little more closely and say, well, what is it that we can learn about Jesus and what his heart would be for us. I do want to make note of this. In the preceding verses in chapter 14 and then going on into chapter 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. 
in in the preceding chapter he talks about the promise of the holy spirit and that he that the holy spirit will be given and then in chapter 16 he talks about the work of the holy spirit and that's where we're going to head next sunday we're going to talk about the spirit-filled life and the work of the holy spirit in the life of the believer as we as we walk through our lives as we walk uh, walk out our experience here on earth and what it means to thrive by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's next Sunday, so don't miss that. Be a part of that time together. So let's examine these thoughts more closely and what Jesus is saying. So in light of the context, in light of the weightiness of this moment that Jesus is sharing these words, we would, we would recognize that there's a sense of importance and urgency to what Jesus is saying. And so he starts out by talking about himself being the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. And in fact, he sets the stage for the rest of this, this chapter and this next portion of scripture as he unpacks and he talks more about this, this picture, this analogy of the vine. And so I wanna, I wanna talk about what he, why he's referencing the vine, why this vine analogy is so important. So of course, what he's referring to is a grapevine. Uh, it's something for that audience and for those people that in that context that he was in, they would have been absolutely familiar with a grapevine. And I, I believe we're all uh, familiar with a, what a grapevine is and the fact that grapes grow on these vines. And if you've ever seen, if you've driven through uh, wine country or you've driven through, you know, the San Joaquin Valley here in California and you see all of the the grapevines that are growing and they're either create, you know, growing table grapes or they're growing grapes that will turn, be turned into raisins or you go up to Napa and, uh, and, and just outside of Sacramento in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, there's all of these vineyards where they're growing grapes specifically to turn that, those, those grapes into wine. And so we've seen those pictures of, of clusters of grapes hanging on those vines. But for, for the, the Jewish people and for Jesus's audience, and especially for the disciples, th this is something that they would have been more closely uh, connected to because uh, they would have walked through these vineyards. They would have been very close to and just close proximity. They would have been an awareness of the way that grapes were grown and the way that the farmers would cultivate, cultivate those grapes. So Jesus using this analogy is an important one. Uh, it's it the grapevine is something that is seen throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. We see God using the picture of the grapevine as the symbol of fruitfulness. Uh, it's the 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 spies that go into the Promised Land, the twelve spies. When they come back, they said that the, the clusters of grapes were so large that two people had to carry them. This picture of abundance that's taking place in this growth and this, uh, this, this, this fruitfulness, provision that would be there uh, in the land. Uh, another aspect, though, that you might not consider about grapevines is this, that grapevines take time to be established, that, that they're not like a, an a apple tree that would just could grow even in the wild and season after season it would just produce apples, that grapes really need to be cultivated and tended to by a gardener, by a farmer who would make sure that they're, they're, they're being pruned properly, properly and so that they can 
actually produce the fruit that are needed. And so the picture of grapes, even for the Israelites going into the promised land, is that there would be this establishing of their lives in this place, that they would be rooted in this place, and that there would be this production of fruit. And so we see all throughout Scripture, we see the picture of the vineyard and, and wine being produced as as, uh, as just this beautiful picture of God's hand of provision and blessing for his people. And so it's significant that Jesus would choose to talk about the grapevine, talk about himself being the true vine. A couple of things about grapes. I don't know if you knew this, but grapes are the mi- most widely grown fruit in the world. They are the most widely grown fruit. Grapes are grown in more places around the world than any other fruit. And so it's, it's really, there's no place in the world that you can go where, where people are at least familiar with what uh, grapes are. And grapevines are really hardy. In fact, the, the, the grape, the, 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 the stalk, the root stalk, so, so that, that trunk, that kind of that base, and then where the roots are growing into the ground are extremely tough, extremely hardy. In fact, uh, back a few months ago, uh, we had to move from one house to another, and uh, I, we had established a, a great garden. I've talked about my garden before, even in uh, our messages, and I enjoy just that the work of being in the soil and nothing, nothing too crazy, but just planting a few different fruits and vegetables. And one of the things I had planted at our house was a grapevine that I'd actually gotten from my mom. Um, who who has a green thumb. She loves growing. Her backyard is super lush and all kinds of fruits and, 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 you know, flowers and varieties of different things. But she's got these prolific grapevines that just produce great grapes. And so she had taken a piece and established this grapevine and it and had you know it had a little trunk and the roots and she'd put it in a pot for me and brought it over and I'd planted it at our old house and in the midst of moving I thought you know I really want to take the grapevine with me that's something I was looking forward to it producing fruit and hadn't hadn't gotten there it was just starting to grow and so I dug it up and I threw it into a pot and we moved over to the new house and I took that pot and I just kind of threw it in the backyard and then life got busy and it just sat back there and I didn't add it was just essentially the the trunk and some raggedy roots in a pot didn't water it didn't tend to it didn't add more soil and just left it there for for a few months and I thought you know I'd seen it one day and I thought you know it's probably done it's probably dead well we had some rain that came through and that pot ended up getting some water in it. Those roots got some water. And the next thing I knew that there were these little buds that were starting to pop out. And that plant is now, that grapevine is now planted again in our yard. And it has, uh, it has these vines, it has these branches that have grown and that we've built a trellis for it. I thought it was dead and there was still life. So, so grapevines are incredibly hardy, but as hardy as they are, as tough as the rootstock is, as tough as that, 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 that um, trunk is, the branches have to be trained and they have to be pruned in order to produce fruit. They have to be trained and they have to be pruned in order to produce fruit. That grapevines just don't produce fruit on their own. There has to be an intentionality behind cultivating these vines, these branches, 
to grow and to produce. Another cool thing about grapes is that you can take uh, grape branches from one grape plant and you can graft them in to another. And so, uh, and they will take and they will, they will produce fruit uh, as well. Here's a final interesting fact about grapes is this, and, and grape vines, is that a branch can be cut off uh, and the leaves on that branch will actually not wither and die for a long period of, period of time. They can actually last quite a while, even once the branch is cut off. But what it cannot do is produce fruit. So listen to this, church. A branch can be cut off. It can still have green leaves, and those leaves can last a while. But what the branch cannot do is produce fruit fruit. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus actually talks about that right here in this passage. So a little background about the grapevine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the, I am the rootstock. I am the one who is established. I am the source of your life. That is what Jesus is saying. So in verse one, well, I want to walk through some of these verses just portion by portion. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. I am the source. I am the one who will provide all that you need. I am the one that will bring you life in every way, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Jesus is the source of our lives, and our lives have to be attached to the source. In fact, that was the the title of today's message, Thriving in Christ, Staying Connected to the Source, that we have to remain, we have to stay connected to the source of our lives, and his name is Jesus. We have to stay connected. And then Jesus says, my father is the gardener. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And there's this divine partnership between the father and the son. And then, as I said, we'll talk next week about the role of the Holy Spirit in this as well, because his role is critical and crucial. But Jesus says, I am the vine. I'm the one who's established. I'm the one who has the roots. I'm the one who's made it possible for you to be grafted into me, to be connected to me. But my father is the gardener. He is the one who cultivates and cares for and tends to the branches that are growing from Jesus himself. That would be you and me. This incredible divine partnership between the Father and the Son. And so what we see here is that, that the Father, as the gardener, sees the full picture. He sees the whole, the whole thing. He sees the entire vineyard, and he knows what needs to happen for fruitfulness to come about in a person's life. And so he is the gardener. What does he do as the gardener? In verse 2, it says that he cuts off every branch that bears, that in me that bears no fruit. Jesus again saying this. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So cuts off. Why, why cuts off? Well, because a branch that's not producing has no place on the vine. A branch that is no, not producing. In fact, it will just, in the case of a vineyard, that branch will, will take life away from the other branches. And, and, and in the cases of, of branches that become infected with disease, that disease will then spread to other places. And so the role of the gardener, the farmer, is to come and to, to cut that branch off. And it can sound kind of harsh, can't it? I, I, I don't know. I've read that before, and I'm like, oh. I don't want to be cut off. And, and that's not a bad thing to think. I don't want to be cut off. But I also don't want to walk in fear of being cut off. 
But even in this, even the sense of cutting off, what, what, what Jesus is saying is that God will, will cut back all the way back to the place where there is still some life, where there is still the opportunity for growth. And he will remove those things that are robbing us of life. Remember, it's Satan, Satan's prerogative. He, the only thing he knows to do is to rob us of life, to steal, kill, and destroy, to take away. But the cutting off that God the Father does is not to destroy. It is to bring about new life. And so there's something so loving even in that. He says, he says that every branch that bears no fruit will be removed. Every, every branch. Because new growth is needed. New growth has to take place. You see, to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be connected to the vine means that there has to be fruitfulness in our lives. Fr fruitfulness or unfruitfulness is not an option. That we have to, to some degree, be bearing fruit in our lives. Not in a way to perform or to, to, to make God happy with us, but as a sign of being connected to the source of our lives. And it's God's desire and his heart towards us to help us to do just that. Jesus goes on to say, and speaking about the Father as the gardener, he says, while every branch that bears does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. Every branch that does bear, bear fruit will still get pruned. Fruitful branches still get pruned. And we can, we, we can recognize that there are places in our lives where God will speak. If we will submit ourselves to him, if we will stay connected to him, if we will walk before him with open hands and open hearts to say, God, would you, would you shape me? Would you mold me? Would you fashion me in the way that you need to? And he says, great. I want to bring about more fruitfulness in your life, which means there's things that I'm going to cut off. There's things that I'm going to remove. There's things that I'm going to say no to, even though your heart would say, oh, I want that. God would say, no, that's, that's an area of unfruitfulness. I want, let's prune back. Let's, let's cut back so there can be greater producing of fruit. Again, in the, using this analogy of the vine, that's something that the gardener would do. The farmer would do, would come and, and would trim those branches, in fact, when, when, he, when, when the farmer starts seeing a cluster of grapes form, he will trim everything beyond that cluster of grapes off um, so that all of the, the nutrients will, will actually be pushed down into the fruit. And so they look for those nodes, they look for those little joints, and, and as soon as they see, so, see that cluster of grapes forming, they'll, they'll, they'll prune that the rest of it off. And it seems counterintuitive because sometimes it just seems more is better. God says, no, I'll prune back so that there can be this infusion of life for greater fruitfulness, that God will prune back portions of our lives and that as we, as we would walk in obedience to him to say, Lord, Lord, shape me, shape me, mold me, prune me, that he will do that so that it would lead to greater fruitfulness in our lives. What an amazing amazing divine partnership from the Father and the Son to bring about thriving in our lives.
Jesus then says this to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And the word that he, he uses there, clean in the Greek, is actually, uh, it's the, the root word of that is the same word that you would use for pruning. And so there's, there's this synonymous uh, meaning between pruning and cleanliness or being purified. So pruning isn't just to cut something off, it's actually to purify something. And he says this to the disciples, uh, I imagine because they're probably looking at him with that same sense of trepidation, like, whoa, what are, what, what are you trying to say to us? And I imagine he's responding just to even their body language in this moment. And he says, listen, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. They've spent three years following him. Disciple, he's discipled them over the course of three years. They've submitted themselves to his leadership and his authority and to his teaching, and they've ministered with him. And he says, listen, you've been under the covering of my word. The word that I have spoken to you has brought about this pruning in your lives and this, this cleanliness in your lives. But he keeps going. And this is these next three verses, he uses this word remain. Remain in me as I also remain in you. He says no branch can bear fruit by itself, right? You can cut that branch off and it might look like it's still alive, but it cannot bear fruit. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You remain in me and I in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This is really the crux of the message. This is really at the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. He says the word remain six times in this passage, in these verses. Six times, five times he talks about us remaining in him. And then there's one instance where he says, I will remain in you. We have to remain. We have to remain in him. Remain in him. We have to stay connected to the source. We have to make sure that our lives are connected to the very life flow because we cannot bear fruit alone. You cannot thrive apart from being in Christ. Church, hear me. You cannot thrive apart from being in Christ. We might be able to fake it for a little while. We might be able to get by for a little while. But the life that we need, the sustenance that we need, can only come through being connected to the person of Jesus Christ. He says that we have to remain. We have to stay connected to him. Verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't that an amazing promise? Isn't that a great, a great thing? Ask anything you wish. Ask anything, whatever it is, it will be done for you. That's so wonderful that Jesus makes himself wholly available to us. But there's a caveat. There's, a, there's a, a restriction on this. It's not just whatever you want. It's not whatever is just kind of, is your fancy, is your preference. He says this, that you, my words must remain in you. That there has to be the centeredness on the person and the teaching and the life 
in the commands of Jesus Christ. We have to remain. The psalmist says, David writes in Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, and I've heard that passage used out of context so many times that God wants to give you the desires of your heart. I've heard people say it over and over. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. But that same sentiment in Psalm 37 is what Jesus echoes here in, in John 15, 7. That when his words remain in us, that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when he becomes the very focus and the center of who our lives, of who we are and, and what our lives are, when we are drawing from him and him alone, that our hearts will be aligned to him, our minds, our thinking will be aligned to him, our, our, our desires and our purposes and our intention and our goals will be aligned to the heart and the mind and the teaching of Jesus. And in that context, within that covering, he says, now ask whatever you want. Because what it does is it points back to the Father. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself. May it allow his words to remain in you. It's an alignment. See, his words are his heart. His words, the words of Jesus are his truth. His words are his priorities. His words are his commands for our lives. It is the very life that flows from God to us. They are in the words, can be found in the word of God, in the words of Jesus. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. That it's the word of God that illuminates the way for us so that we know where to walk. Amos the prophet in Amos 8.11 says this, the days are coming, when speaking for the Lord, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Amos here addressing the people of Israel, but there's a larger picture that he paints here is that you can, you can walk in a famine, you can walk in a place where there is, not, there is no hearing of the words of the Lord, not understanding the words of the Lord. And I think in so many ways in the world that we live in, we live in a time where there is a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And I would say that not just for people who, who are Christians or not, not Christians or haven't given their lives to Jesus, but I think so often even in the church there can be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord because we can listen to so many other voices, to other things, to other influences in our lives, and we can even put a greater priority on those over listening to the words of Jesus. We need to break that famine. We need to stay connected to the vine. We need to stay connected to the true vine. We need to hear and know and live by the words of Jesus. His words need to remain in us if we are to thrive. Jesus says then in verse 8, after he says to them, if your words remain in me and uh, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, he says, and it will be done. And then he goes on to say, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, the evidence of what we ask for will bring glory to God the Father. The evidence of the fruitfulness of our lives will always point back to God. It won't point to us. 
There's no selfishness. There's no pridefulness in it. What it does is it points back to God. And when, when that happens, other people see it and are drawn to it because it is refreshing and it is nourishing. There is an evidence in this fruitfulness, the bearing of much fruit, because when we do, we show that we are his disciples and people will be drawn to that always, always, always. And Jesus, then Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And he finally, he finishes with this in this, in this verse, now remain in my love. Now remain in my love. And church, that's what's at the center of all of this is the love of God. That when we stay connected, when we stay connected to the person of Jesus, when we stay connected to the vine, the thing that will flow is the love of God. Jesus says that, that the Father loved me and his love, I had a love for the Father and the Father has a love for me. His love remained in me and I remained in him. Now you, now you remain in my love. Church, this is where we need to live our lives. We need to live our lives connected to Jesus. It's not about how much we do and how much we produce and how much, uh, how much notoriety there is or, or how much faith we can muster. All of those things, God will, God will bring about what he wants to bring about because he's the gardener. But at the very core, at the very center of this is this, that we stay connected to Jesus, that we have to stay connected to the source, that we cannot, you cannot and I cannot thrive apart from being connected to Jesus. So what do we do? We lean in, we press in, we contend to make sure that we are staying connected, that we are remaining. We meditate on God's word we meditate on God's word, like I said already, to become more concerned about what God says than any other voice, than any other voice, to say, God, what is it that you're speaking? I can't stress this enough. There's so many voices in our world. There's so many voices in the media. There's so many voices on YouTube. There's so many voices in books. There's so many voices in, in church, in, in just in, and, and we, we start listening to all of these voices and we stop listening to the voice of God. We have to meditate and know and hide God's word in our hearts so that we can know his desires and his heart and our line, our lives. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of fasting. We need to be a people who, who are constantly walking in repentance before the, the Lord. And we need to walk with a reliance upon the work, the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about more next week. I want to encourage you, stay connected. Examine your life. Ask God to examine your life. Ask God to prune. Ask God to cut away those areas that are not producing fruit. Wait on him. Listen before him. Read his word and listen and ask him to bring revelation in your life and watch what he does. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us so dearly and so deeply. Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be connected to you, to remain in you, to be connected to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would stay in that place. 
that all we have to do is stay connected and that you bring about the life flow. All we have to do is stay connected and then, Father, you bring about the pruning. All we have to do is stay connected and you said, I will produce the fruit. I will do the work. And so, Lord, help us to live in that place, to rely on you, to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Praying for you this week. Take time to read John 14, 15, and 16, and then we'll look at those passages a little bit more next Sunday. Invite someone to join you. God bless you as you go.